James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. And then we go on to read from verse 18 of chapter 1. He, Jesus, chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of God. Thank you, Christine. Do keep that open in front of you. Let's just take a moment to to pray, shall we? God, our Father, thank you again for your word. We thank you for uh, the way you reveal um, your truth to us, and we pray now that we come under it, that you'll help us to, to learn from it and go away challenged and changed by it, Um, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Ikea is coming to Greenwich. (laughs) Yes, I thought that would have that effect. The thing about Ikea is, isn't it, it's the assembly instructions. Yes, you can relate to these, can't you? The assembly instructions. I'm sure, like me, you've had times where you just ignore them and uh, you put them to one side and, of course, uh, things don't always go according to plan, do they? You finish up with a a bit of a wonky uh, shelving or whatever. And and so that is, isn't it, a bit like our Christian life. We, We read the manual, we read the Bible, for example, and then we set it to one side or we think, uh, we feel it's maybe a bit long-winded or a bit tricky for us to get our heads around and complicate and, and so we think, well, maybe we'll go, uh, go it alone. And of course, the inevitable can happen. If you've um, not been with us for a while, uh, uh, we're looking together at one of the three core values that we have as a church, uh, uh, which is the Bible. And we spent quite a lot of time looking at the Bible's purpose. Um, But now we're getting to James, and we're looking at what James says here about the Bible. And it gets quite practical, doesn't it? You can see all the practical aspects coming out. If we 
are here this morning and we, and we have a relationship um, with God, if we have a relationship with God through Jesus, I believe that we will then therefore have a new relationship with the Bible, with the Scriptures. And I want to just say, th- talk about three things um, particularly. And the first is that the Word of God will humble us. The Word of God will humble us. Verse 18. He, that's God the Father, chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Now what does this mean? Well, This means that the Holy Spirit, taking the word of truth, what the Bible says about God, about Jesus Christ, about you and about me, and brings it home to our hearts. This is really, really important. The Bible is the way we're initiated into the new life. And when that word comes to us through the Holy Spirit, we're told that it makes us, verse 18, a kind of first fruits of all he created. It's interesting. What's that about? Sounds a bit strange to us, doesn't it? What's the first fruits? Well, when you took a harvest out uh, in those days, you took a harvest, it took a number of days to do. Uh, It had to be done in stages. And the first crop was always given as an offering back to God. It wasn't yours. You, you gave it to God. And so perhaps you see what James is saying here. A Christian is someone who has given themselves first to God, given themselves over to God as first fruits, given my life to him, and therefore I am no longer get to decide how I should live. I, I put myself under the authority of God because I've given myself to him first and therefore I put myself under the authority of his word. James really pushes this in verse 21. He says, humbly accept the word planted in you. And again in verse 25, he says, look intently into the perfect law. Look intently into the perfect law. Up until this uh, up until this, James talks of the word, uh, the word of truth. Now he's talking about the perfect law. And by calling the whole Bible the perfect um, law, he's saying every part of it, every aspect of it is established for, for us. Um, not just the commands, not just um, uh, Jesus' own words, but the, all of it, the promises, the warnings, the examples, the history, the metaphors, the parables. Everything there is to shape us for our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus. So the Bible is not just a good advice. It's not just a set of guidelines, something that you kind of thumb through from time to time when you need a pick-me-up. No, we're not supposed to be kind of up here looking down at the Bible and allowing the Bible to come under our authority, but we should be coming under the Bible. Allow it to thumb through us, to pick through us, as it were. Now, it's true, isn't it? Most people are often very happy to, uh, to the extent with the Bible that they can find some nice things in. Um some helpful insights, perhaps some historical insights. Um, But authority is such a a difficult thing, isn't it? We don't like to come under authority. 
And so we say, no way, no one gets to tell me how to live. But James says the law, the Bible is perfect. That means we're not at liberty to kind of pick through it. And so we need to have humility when we come to it and let it stand over us. If we think about it, looking back through history, if we look at every generation, we find in every generation as you go back, certain things that each generation found difficult about the Bible or found very hard to accept because it, used to, it would fly in the face of, of our sort of cultural presuppositions that we had at moments in culture and history. So in biblical times, or in historical times, people lived in, in rather different cultural contexts. They lived in kind of collectivist um, communities, thinking about the family um, solidarity in the community. People didn't think in the same ways in our culture about the individual. They would never say, I do what I want for myself. No, they'd say, I do what is important for the honour of the family and of what's best for community cohesion. And so if you, if you lived in a culture like that and you read the Bible and what it says um, about sex and marriage, for example, people then would say, sure, that makes perfect sense for community cohesion and family solidarity. Perfect sense. But then... If they, for example, had just experienced a neighbouring tribe or a neighbouring nation coming in and murdering some of their own, and they read what the Bible says about forgiveness and reconciliation, people then would say, you must be mad. You see, see the point I'm trying to, to make here? I hope it's coming through. Whatever time you live, whatever time you turn to, there will always be different things in the Bible that the culture bulks against. Yeah? You get that? I mean, we have no problem in London with the idea of forgiveness and reconciliation because it's culturally very norm for us. Yeah, sure, the Bible's right there. I accept that bit of the Bible. But when it comes to the Bible saying anything about some other areas, sex, relationships, whatever it might be, people say, you must be mad. And so we need to not underestimate just how culturally bound each of us are. I mean, think for just a moment, wind the clock forward a hundred years, how many of the things that you uh, believe in, our culture believes, um, that we think right now are progressive and um, enlightened, that in a hundred years' time people are going to look back and say are regressive and outrageous and horrible. All I can say is to us, don't leave any letters around. Don't leave any YouTube clips or blogs about what you think because your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren are going to say you were mad. Do you see how culturally bound we are? Coming under the authority, authority means to let the Bible speak to us and to transform us. And if we're followers of Jesus Christ, at some point, as you read the Bible, you're going to come to something and you're not going to like it. What do you do then? What do you do at that point? Do you just say it's mad and ignore it? 
It's one option. It's the IKEA option, actually, isn't it? You go it alone, make the shelves, build your life without taking recognition of it, but you know the mess that you could finish up in. So that's the first thing. We need the humility to come under the authority of God's word. But secondly, the word of God will shape us as we come under its authority. Undoubtedly will shape us. Um, Verse 27 says this. Religion that God our Father accepts is a pure and faultless as this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In a, in a sense, if you, if you get a chance to look at James, I'd really encourage you to do that. Um, this is a bit of a, a summary statement for the whole of the letter. The, the, the mark of whether you have the birth uh, through the word of truth, whether you have been born again, a salvation, it, it, the, the marks of that, the consequences of that are two things. It, it, firstly, to look after orphans and widows. And secondly, it says, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, James is not saying here that this is the content of your faith. This is not how you are saved. We need to make that very clear. The content of faith is the atoning death of Jesus Christ and the victorious resurrection of Jesus to new life. Care for the orphans and the widows and keeping free of pollution from the world is the expression of of it, the consequences that follow from being a follower of Jesus Christ. Here are the two marks. Here are two marks of true faith, of true religion, that you really have had an encounter with God through his word. Social responsibility, care for the poor and the vulnerable, the marginalized, those in need, the lonely. That's why I'm, I'm particularly thrilled that as a church we're involved with things like food bank, winter night shelter, uh, street passes, and many other things that you are individually um, also involved in. Look at the second mark. Not only social responsibility, but keep yourself from being polluted by the world. That's talking about, isn't it, inner purity, um, about our, our, own, um, our own compass within us. If you look... I'm trying to give a bit of an example. If you look through the prophets, what amazes me about the prophets in the Old Testament is how they keep these two marks together. You know, often we accentuate one or the other, don't we? But if you look, Amos is a, is a brilliant example of this. In Amos chapter 2, it says in the same breath, in the same verse, it says, they trample on the needs of the poor and deny justice to the oppressed, social responsibility. And in the second breath, father and son use the same girl to profane the holy name. That's the pollution of the world. In the same same verse. In other words, you don't care about the poor and the needy, and you engage in the pollution of the world, in sexual immorality. The Bible always keeps these two things together. And so often we find it hard. The problem with us is that we tend to fall off on either side of this. We fall into our ideological tribes that we often have. We all have them. If you're from a a, a more liberal background, you tend to focus on the poor and the oppressed, but are accepting of people's sexual uh, lifestyles and immorality and the pollution in the world. More traditional, conservative 
backgrounds tend to talk about family values, don't they? And against immorality, but never speak up against the oppressed, giving lip service to what happens to the most vulnerable in society. But if you look at the word of God, it pulls these two things together. And that's one way we know, as a church or as individuals, we are coming under the word of God. That's not an easy place to be, is it, in that tension? Not an easy place, because some of us will be more comfortable with one aspect or end of that spectrum. But coming under the authority of the word of God means bringing both together. So that's one way you know that you're coming under God's word. Your personal purity and social responsibility. Responsibility, they go hand in hand. We tend to divide them. The Bible always keeps them together. And finally, that brings us to the word of God, how it brings freedom. The word of God will will set us free. How do you become this kind of word-shaped person? Um... We've said we've had uh, we, to humble ourselves under the full authority of the word to shape us into action, but how? Well, in the middle of the passage, um, I just want to pick up four things. I have no clocks, so these four things could... <laughs> the clock's, clock's gone. Don't worry, I'll try and not take too long. It's not a sermon within a sermon. Okay? <laughs> but they're four brief things. I know what you're thinking. Eddie, get on with it. Um, first... <laughs> Verse 23 says this. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at him goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it will be blessed in what he does. Now, the first of the four. First is intently looking into the perfect law. The word intently is the same word that it describes Peter looking into the tomb on the third day. He's looking in there, he's thinking it out, it's a rational thing, there's no body, where are the clothes, what's going on? He was pulling together the facts, assessing the situation, the implications, readying himself for action, intently thinking. That's what we're supposed to do with the word of God every day with the Bible, expectantly, ready for the implications, ready to go. How intently do you look at the Bible? I know it's not easy at times. We might need help, and there's some things that you can find. I can help you with those and show you those. That's the rational bit. That's the short bit. The second, the second one is the more personal challenge. The more personal challenge. We must be ready for that personal challenge because when you read it intently, you're going to be personally challenged. It gets really upfront and personal and in your face. It's the metaphor of the mirror. We gaze into the word of God as gazing into a mirror. What do you see as you gaze into a mirror? This is hard. There are actually some people um, who have the phobia isotropophobia apparently it's something Um, it's mirrorphobia people who are afraid to look at themselves in the mirror maybe that's you maybe you have that kind of phobia with with actually 
what the Bible might say. Remember the word of God isn't a textbook telling you abstract things. It's telling you who you are. When you hold up the word of God, it's like a mirror. You see the wrinkles. You see the flabby bits. (laughs) Somebody like that. You see the tiredness in your eyes. That the you know, you see how, um, you see all the, the blemishes, don't you, when you look, you, you, and, you, and it shows you when, you know, we've got some big mirrors in our, our bedroom that you sometimes, you catch yourself scratching your nose or picking your nose, and you go, oh, you know, it, it, it shows up those things. Hannah's going to be horrified that I admitted there to picking your nose. Um, but you, it shows you all your blemishes, doesn't it? It shows you that the clothes don't match. When the Word of God operates like this, like a mirror, it feels like the Word of God is really talking to you personally. You're supposed to listen to it because it's the Holy Spirit, God Himself. Through his word, he comes and he speaks to us. He exposes, he warns, he convicts, but he counsels and he loves. He says to you, are you really going to do that? When you're going, when are you going to forgive that person? When when are you going to walk up to that person in the fellowship that you find it really hard to forgive and forgive them? Because I've forgiven you. Or maybe it's a word of comfort. I see how tired you are. Come, come to me and I will give you rest. You're my dearly loved child and adopted into my family. You are mine. You're precious to me. The word of God acts as a mirror... It counsels, it exposes, it convicts, it counsels, it shows us totally our need of God, but it shows us just who God is. Have you ever moved from that kind of rational way of approaching the Bible into that kind of personal way that the Bible speaks to you? So you see who you are. Thirdly, We must seek ongoing action. It's there. It has to be ongoing. You see it in verse 25. And continue to do this, it says. And continue to do this. Look intently in the word. It's not a one-off tick-box exercise. I've done that. Now I can move along and um, think about something else. You keep practicing. You keep obeying. You keep living it out. You keep coming back to it. It's what the reformers used to talk about as the perseverance of the saints. That's you and me. We're saints if you're a believer. If you read the New Testament, there's lots about keeping going to the end. Persevere. Keep going, brothers and sisters. It's not about I used to do this and I used to say this and I used to act this way and I've stopped doing them. Things God has called us to do and to live, but they've kind of crept back in. It says here, continue to do this. Finally, fourthly, all this leads to the wonderful blessing of freedom. What does 
all this result in, results in blessing, but it specifically talks here, doesn't it, about freedom, about the freedom that comes. Um, if you look intently into the law and to God's word, it tells you about yourself, and it continues to do is to make, make you free. Now, wait a minute. We often think about freedom, don't we? And we don't usually have it coincide with perfect law of God. We think of law in that very kind of negative um, way. We define freedom as freedom from restrictions um, in a kind of totally negative way. If you think about parking laws, they're good around the church, aren't they? On one side of the street, it, it may be restricted. On the other side, it's not. But we say totally we're being restricted from our right to park where we want. And freedom in our kind of uh, culture is, is the absence of restrictions. Then uh, law is perceived to take away our freedom. The word of God can be perceived to take away our freedom. So how can James say here that law gives freedom? Well, because the Bible teaches us that freedom is, is, it has a different way of looking at what freedom is about. It's a much more positive thing. You are free when you have been released to be truly what you were built to be. That's when you are truly free. You are free when you realize your true self and your real nature. Let me um, try and explain. I, I stole this illustration from somewhere. It's so good. Here is a fish. Imagine a fish. The fish has gills, and what do gills need to extract oxygen? Not air like us, they, but they need water. The fish has fins. The fins don't work that well over the land, but they're great in water. Here is a fish. The fish has water, and it has lands. Where should the fish go? That's a rhetorical question. If you, if you define freedom as the absence of restrictions, then you're selling, saying, well, if the fish is really free, you have to let the fish choose the land or the water, wherever it wants to go. It could be a rebellious fish and say, I'm going to live on the land. I want to exercise my freedom to be who I want. Let me just flop around out here on the land for a bit. How's the fish going to do? Of course, the answer is that unless the fish is in the water, it loses its freedom, doesn't it? Because you see, true freedom, if you define it positively as the Bible does, it is the ability to fulfill what you were built to do, to fulfill your true nature. It's the same for each one of us. That's why the, the Bible is here. And that's why it gives us these restrictions and these laws and this word. Because he wants to bless us. Know what it's like to swim it. No, you get the, the point. When you look at the Bible, what do you see? Do you see a set of restrictions to your freedom? Or do you see a book giving you freedom? If we come to God's word, look intently at it relationally, the Holy Spirit will move in us and we will experience it personally and that moves us to keep it and that will make us free to be the people God has created us to be. 
Now, before I end, I want to say one final thing, because after all that, it can sound quite, we must do this, we must do this, we must do this. I don't want to sort of go away with that final message. I want to say one thing. When you look at the word of God, don't just see yourself. Don't just see yourself. When you hold up the mirror, don't just see yourself. If you do that, you'll feel terribly guilty. You'll feel terribly paralyzed. You'll feel terribly condemned and you'll feel terribly crushed because you know just how far short you fall of God's standard. But when you hold up the mirror of God's word up and you see yourself, also see Jesus Christ. See him. The only person who has ever kept the word of God perfectly. See the one who died for you and for me. See the man who completely fulfills the law and became an atoning sacrifice for our sin, who has given us victory and new life because he rose from the dead. Yes, see yourself, but make sure you see Jesus Christ. Let's pray. I'm gonna, the band are going to come up and um, play for us. Um, but let's just take a moment to pray and have a moment of silence. God, our Father, we, we thank you for your word and we thank you that it's, just, it's not just information. We thank you that it is up front and personal. It affects us. And we pray that we will come under its authority and allow it to speak to our hearts and our minds so that it may change us and mould us into the people that you've called us to be. Father, we find it hard at times. And we pray, Father, that we will be hungry for your word. We pray that your spirit would so work in our hearts that you would bring your word to bear on us and change us and make us into the people you've called us to be, that we may know the true freedom that comes from following Jesus Christ, the one who has died for us so that we could be free. In his name we pray. Amen.